Hello, hello. Here we are again with you on Broadcast Team Alpha. And this is the, the show where we talk about all the stuff that we're not supposed to know about. And this is going to get interesting. Uh, I have a great guest with me from down under. And uh, I'm going to introduce him in just a second here. But I also want to tell you how you can connect with us. You can connect through broadcastteamalpha.com. That's our website that Nori Love and I have. And also you can find us on YouTube and about 44 other platforms around the world. So uh, we are getting out just about everywhere. And uh, when you go, if you go to YouTube, that's an probably the best place to watch our shows and videos because when it is there you can also participate in the chat room and if it is live you we can be there with you and we can have a conversation in the chat room so that will just a little more live for you than if you just look you know look at the recording I also want to tell you that Nori and I have put together a spiritual think tank where we are doing incredible things. We bend the laws of physics sometimes, and it seems like we are creating out of seemingly nothing, but it does happen. And those things comes about because we are reaching into the quantum existence with our intention, our visual images, and what we want. And then we are matching vibration out there where everything is, and we are bringing it back into the physical with us. And it happens a lot. So if you want to be part of a spiritual think tank or come to check it out and see if this is something that you want to be part of, Send us an email to the mastermind connection at gmail.com. That's the mastermind connection at gmail.com. And I'll send you some information. You'll get a link and you can come and join us on Sundays at 11 o'clock Pacific time, 2 o'clock in the afternoon East Coast time. And I have no idea what time zone you may be in. So you just have to go and talk to your smartphone and figure that out. And uh, besides that, I want to introduce our guest to you because this George Mitrovic, he is returning to Broadcast Team Alpha. And uh, he is an incredible guy. Do you know anybody else that has written 120 books? I don't think you do, but now you do, because he has. And uh, he's talking in those books about just about anything that we want to know. The strange phenomena, UFOs, humanoids, and lake monsters, uh, amazing encounters, and strange mythology. And even he's got a, a book on the comet that kills the dinosaurs. And that dates back a while. But there is some evidence that, yeah, this 
actually happened. And um, he also talked about Bigfoot encounters. And boy, oh boy, are we going to talk about that today because that's going to get interesting. And you will go to Amazon.com and put George Mitrovic, uh, M-I-T-R-O-V-I-C-K, into the search bar. And okay. What, did I spell that right? Delete the K. Oh, okay. It's just M-I-T-R-O-V-I-C. Oh, V-I-C. Okay, there you go. Yeah, no worries. Put Easy mistake search bar there and then look at all those books and i bet you're going to find something in there that you can't live without i guarantee it <laughs> and uh, i uh, he is a time traveler because if he looks at his watch right now he's got 10 minutes after noon his time tomorrow because he's in Australia. So, so so now you know a time traveler. Anyway, welcome to the show, George. This is going to be fun. Hello, Aggie. It's great <laughs> to be back on with you. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's actually been just about two years. And uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I did mention uh, just a few things of the books that you have written about. And Bigfoot is one of them. And I just love that big guy because he is everywhere. He's in the North America, South America. He is and the Russians talk about it. The Scandinavians talk about him. They call him different. They call him trolls, but it's the same guy. And, or some of them, and they are in Australia even. I have read about things down there too, and as well as Asia. Bigfoot is everywhere. So, it certainly I, is. I'm all ears. I'm, enlighten me. Okay. The only continent we don't think Bigfoot is on, but we could be wrong, is Antarctica. It might be a little too cold for him. But Bigfoot is renowned and known worldwide. I just finished two books on Australian Bigfoot. It's called Viawi. That's the most common name for him. He has lots of sim uh, different native names for him, Aboriginal names for him. This Bigfoot stays the same. The names change around the world. At the moment, I've just finished volume two of Bigfoots of North of the United States. Five volumes, 1,500 pages with maps, average 300 pages a book. I don't write long, flowery descriptions. I write where it happened, what happened. You can work out what to do and research it later. My books are guidebooks, all of my books, and you can see lots of them up there behind me. They are guidebooks for you to investigate, you to study, you to look at. I open the door and you can get your nose in. And I got a pretty big nose, so I can open a pretty big door. And you can find these amazing, amazing events and stories. I want to quickly read one. Okay. So don't fall asleep. This is from the early 1950s, and basically, unless you're a woodsman in Washington State 
uh, a Kazakh a Kazakh in the in the Urals, you wouldn't have heard of him. Yeah, no one talked about Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever then. My databases go back to sixteen hundred for a lot of my Bigfoot cases to the eighteen hundreds before the eighteen hundreds for North America. Mm -hmm. because you need an overview. You don't get a view when you look at one particular point there. That's not a view. This is a view. This is a nice, lovely story. It's my favourite Bigfoot story of all time. Okay. I can't speak like an old woman. I can't speak like an American, but this will have to do. Near Lawrence, we'll work it out. They can have a translation system if they don't understand me. Near Lawrenceburg in Lawrence County, Tennessee in 1955. This was 53 years ago. It was in Etheridge, Tennessee. I don't remember how to get back to the old farm place, but even if I did, it is not the same anymore. So much land has been cleared. Hello, all. I'm a 56-year-old woman that has never gave a second thought to the life of what people call a Bigfoot. I knew him as Whistling Paddy as a child. That is what my grandparents and all the neighbours called him. Our neighbours were far and few between, but every one of them knew the Whistling Paddy. That is what they called him. I myself can remember his screaming and whistling sounds as a child. We lived in the deep woods in Etheridge, Tennessee, with no electricity or indoor plumbing. He was always around. We were used to his sounds, and he came for scraps at night. He did not eat any meat, only peelings from potatoes and other veg. He or she was white with red eyes, like as I know some folks are called albino, I guess. My grandparents were not learned people. They could not read or write. They had to sign with an X. But they knew he was real. They did not fear him and saw him or her lots of times and thought it was okay. They called it him, so I guess it was a male. My aunt, who lived about a mile away, opened her back door one night to throw out her dish water and threw it on Paddy because he was standing at the back door. It did not scare her because she was used to him. Although she had nine children, she went and got some potatoes and gave him, for she said he was hungry. This Paddy was about seven to eight feet tall, and I did not ever hurt and did not ever hurt anyone. I'd like to know if anyone else has ever heard one called a whistling paddy, because that is what we was called when I was a small child growing up in those woods. And we did not fear him. We had come inside right before dark because Momo would say, Paddy is out here and we can't trust him. We don't know who he is. If anyone else ever knew of a Bigfoot that was called by the name of Whistling Paddy, I would like to know. My grandparents were Indian knew many things but were not smart when it came to the real world. They knew how to get by with ten children and live a good life in the woods and how spider webs packed in for a wound would stop bleeding. And they knew as I did, Paddy was real. He would tear the bark off of the trees and my young uncles had tree houses built in. My uncles are still alive. They could tell me more. Everyone who lived in this area knew Paddy. He always came at dusky dark, never bright daylight, it was hardwood forest woods all around. There was whiskey stills in the woods. My grandpa had one also. 
Always, as a child, neighbours would come sometimes and tell about the paddy who was at their house or in the woods behind their house. The other night, Gabe gave him food too. Even if it was potato peelings, he would take them. We were poor, poor people and cooked our peelings for the family to eat. But my mama always made sure we had a full belly and saved something for paddy. I love the elegant simplicity and honesty of this report. There is nothing made up or fanciful about it, which gives a great credence in the retelling. I've also left the grammar and spelling basically intact. It is so full of originality and innocence. This is a, a woman recounting 55 years before when she's a little child in the middle of the dark woods of Tennessee, remembering this creature. What a beautiful description. Yes. And this was when there was no mention of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. I don't even think Ivan Sanderson had written about him yet. He's one of the great authorities on anthropology and strange monsters. He and the guy who did the first major book on sea serpents created the term cryptozoology, which is used today. That is Ivan Sanderson. Brilliant, mm. brilliant author. I've got all of his books up there. These bookcases surround me. Yeah. I love them. I think... I, I have read all of it. Yeah. I think that uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot or Yeti or whatever we call them, they have many of the good qualities that people have. I think many of the bad qualities that people have, they don't have. It depends on what mood they're in. I'll give you a couple of simple stories. Huh? I was being interviewed a few years ago. And American broadcasters are very coy. And American books are very coy. As an Australian, we find it quite amazing. We aren't very coy. We swear a lot. We're very direct. There's not much subtlety to our culture. And there's a, there are two things I've noticed about Bigfoot reports, and I've written, you know, I think 15 books on Bigfoot, totaling thousands of pages around the world and North America. And I said, the coyness is amazing, something that is so obvious no one has ever mentioned or written about. I have. Yeah. I do. And that is... The typical encounter in almost all cases is Randy and Andy or whoever, they're driving around at one o'clock in the morning and they need to go to the side of a road to, as the Americans put it, relieve themselves. Yeah. We have simpler terms for it, but this is a family program. They're basically urinating. Okay, what's so special about that? It's one of the most common events that precedes a Bigfoot encounter because within seconds or minutes, there's something that's very upset, throwing rocks, throwing sticks, screaming, or trying to chase them. Yeah. We have had some more physical interactions. This is Primate Anthropology 101. Speaking of Sanderson again. What is happening? They are marking the territory but the Bigfoot has already marked as their own. And this is the same, the same reaction as if you would do the same in a monkey troop or a gorilla troop 
or any other major simian troop, you do not urinate in somebody else's property. Yeah. Dogs even follow the same rule. And a lot of other cases, you got Randy, but not Andy this time, unless they're gay, but you've got Randy and his girlfriend, Thelma or whatever, and they're courting. A lovely, lovely, simple word. We yep. know what they're doing. They're not studying for university in the middle of nowhere in the back of a car. Next second, who shows up? Seven foot tall and hairy and quite often stinking to high heaven. They're curious. Yeah. The same as anthropoid apes. And I wish that was the simple solution, but it isn't. There are three simple solutions. Uh -huh. And in the multiverse, we don't have to allow for them. Yes, we have the big apes worldwide that live in the tree line, where they can hide, where they can't be seen. They're smart. They might not necessarily fear us, but they know what humans are like. They know how to be wary of us. And yes, some have killed us, probably more than we have killed them. Dead big feet are very rare. I think I've got five reports that I know of out of thousands. My books, you'll get six reports to a page sometimes. But they're big pages. I don't like little pages. Yeah. The yeah. second part, which I won't go into part into much, they're the physical explanations of Bigfoot. The second part is the Amerindian and native, I don't really like that term, originally inhabited legends of every continent on Earth, who believe that in a lot of cases, Bigfoot comes from elsewhere. We could say they come from another dimension. They say they come from the land of dreams. The Aborigines are very much into dream time. That's where the big feet come from. It could account for some. It might not account for all. As I said, this is only the second variation on the theme. And now, let's just go totally right field. Mm -hmm. In the 1950s, 1954, yeah. mid-October, seven occasions during the largest UFO flap that France had ever seen. Seven occasions UFOs landed, down came the hatch, and who came out? Little furry creatures, four and a half foot tall, for God's sake. Where was Orphan from Venus with his long blonde hair and the greys and the rest, though? They were in other places, in France, mm -hmm. Italy, but not at these seven events. Okay, maybe it's just somebody hallucinating. Yeah, could be. But most of the stories... After that... Yeah? After that, there were more and more UFO sightings of Bigfoot, where he's the normal size. And this was years before Star Wars. Who's to say that furry, hairy creatures don't have a capacity to fly a flying saucer? But we could go to other levels of interdimensional travel as well, because everything ties in together. Mm -hmm. You know, I get laughed at because I include the UFO Bigfoot encounters in my books. My books are 
Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Bigfoot. I don't care where they come from or how they appear. This is a report. This is what people have seen, witnessed, encountered, felt, believed. They put it in writing. They've got they're game enough to do it. They got the cojones to do it, and they do it. Okay, I publish their reports. I can't dispute their truth. I'm not there, but there may be more to it as well. Yeah, and uh, also, I have read about this quite a bit also, and I I think I almost entirely find all contacts to be friendly. Even though if they feel threatened, they're very good at defending themselves. But I think that they have a really a nice, friendly depiction of us. I know there, I read a story about here in the United States about a lady that lived quite far out into the, um, well, not really the wilderness, but close to it. And she said that there were a family of Bigfoot living right next to where she was and she used to make cakes and take it out mm. and put it where they knew that they could go and get food and the bigfoot they loved cakes they came back and they once in a while they came up to the house and knocked on the door or the walls and then they took off they was just reminding her that you forgot the cake <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's funny. I've got a lot of reports like that all over the world where they're banging on doors and running yeah. around and running away and coming back. Yes, generally, I don't find them to be violent. They just don't like the territory being crossed because, as I said, they're wary. The UFO ones, well, who knows? Yeah. The yeah. legends of a lot of them in North America especially Quite often they're malevolent, but which one are we talking about? The native one, the imported one, or the one that travelled here? Because the whole multiverse becomes a problem in that regard, because it's capable of having all of them. There is no simple solution. You know, I love Bigfoot. I'd love to meet one. I'm not sure about the smell, but we might smell horrible to them. You know, Chinese people don't like white people because of our smell, and that's Chinese people who've told me that. Because our diet's different. Yeah. You know, we forget we're animals you know, on this planet. There's nothing special about us. We're just another animal wandering around the place. Let me ask you something. There are stories of people that have had a contact with Bigfoot. And they have seen them actually just disappearing. Do you feel that there may be an interdimensional contact possibly involved here? I know some of them yes. are because they got caves, but some of them mm. it can seems like they're showing up and they disappear. There were several sightings in a place called Point Isabel in the United States in the mid to late 60s. Yeah. With a particular big feet that was seen, would be seen the next second gone. It's like somebody turned the TV off and Bigfoot's gone. That to me is interdimensional. Yeah. Because no one felt the heat, no one felt any pressure, so it was not an explosion of any type. 
that would be a possible way of going further dimensions. Or I'll throw another fish in the pot. Who's to say some of these aren't holograms? Yeah. And, uh, sent to explore our planet, sent to talk to us. You know, what better disguise, and I write that in a lot of my books, in fact, all my books on strange on cryptozoology and UFOs and the rest of it, what better disguise do you have than something that looks absurd to normal reasoning? Remember, most people don't believe in Bigfoot. Science says it does not exist. Forget about it. You know, I've got ten for, tens of thousands of sightings. No, no, it does not exist. I've seen patterns of how they travel up and down river valleys, how to congregate in some areas. Doesn't exist. Bullshit. They exist. My research says they exist. I might not have met one, but I know where they are, I know what they're doing, and I've mapped them. Yeah. But who's to say there are varieties of creature who want to explore our planet the best disguise, as I said, is disguise yourself as a grey or a Bigfoot or a giant squid. Who cares? Make it as absurd as possible because then the witness, no matter who they tell, is just going to say, look, you're drunk or you were stoned or you're off your face. Just you know, go back to bed. You've, you're an idiot. It is. And that happens in so many cases. Yeah. It's obvious that they are very intelligent in fact, oh, yes. we can deduct that from the size of the cranium also, that they have tremendous mm. brain capacity. And uh, when we look at what they do, they, we listen to their language because there is a language. They have some clicking sounds and there are different things that mean something to them that I don't think we really have a good understanding of. But that language that they have developed works for them. Yes, and, including the whistling. Yeah. Which her whistling Paddy was named after. Mm -hmm. You know, that particular story has all pure Bigfoot in it. It confirms everything. But it's 70 years ago. Yeah. They also know that we can help them if they need it. Because there's yes, a, sometimes, yes. There's a story here from the United States about north of uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. There was a forest fire up there. And uh, out of the their firemen, they were there trying to put it out. And out of the fires, they came running. One of the Bigfoots came running up to them and sat down. And he was burned all over. Hmm. He had burn marks all over the place from being yeah. running through the fire. Evidently, he came out because he figured he could get some help. And he was nervous. But there was a Native American girl there that was also one of the fire people. She came up to him and she held his hand. And he calmed down immediately. And they, uh, they helped him as much as they could there. And then they took him on a gurney and they took him away in a, in a van. They, they, they took him somewhere. And the fireman that talked about this, he said that he didn't know where they took him, but he was taken away. But it was obviously that Bigfoot came out because he needed help and he knew it. And he thought maybe we could help him. 
Yes, because yeah. normally they'll heal themselves using their own berries and their own kind. But there yeah. was a severe case. Like last week, I sent an email to a friend of mine, no, a, a message through Facebook asking about Lake Shuswap uh, or Shuswap, where the fires are at the moment in Canada. And my concern was, I know it sounds bizarre, but I am an anthropologist in some degree. And I was concerned if anyone had actually seen the Shuswap, which is a hairy hominoid or Bigfoot of Lake Shuswap. That's the name of Shuswap means hairy hominoid in this area. Starts with a K, but I can't remember. But the fires just raged through in the last couple of weeks. There are lots of reports of hairy hominoids being seen during and after fires. And they're not, what I'm trying to say is they're not rare. It's not that there are only 10 seen in recorded history. There are thousands of them seen. I focus on North America because there's a lot of data and a lot of data in English that I can access. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we've got the same amount in other languages around the world, but I can't read the other languages no. around the world. I can only work on English sources. I had somebody write a letter, a message to me on Facebook saying, it's pointless looking at where they've been pinpointed and where they've been seen because it's not showing how many there actually are. I said, you can't count how many there actually are if you don't know them or have seen them. So you have to look at general averages. Oh, if there are five reports here and three up the river here and seven up the river here and two up that river there, there's a good idea that we've got some coming down here. I'm not yep. trying to say that we've got a total of 11 that live in this area. Yep. Yes, you can't. Statistically, you can't. Statistics, as we know, it's just bullshit when you get down to it. It can be twisted any single way you want. Politicians and governments and big business do it every day. Yeah, but that's another story. I can't really understand why this is kept so secret. Their their real existence is just kind of shunned. Nobody wants in a so-called authority governments. They don't want to talk about it. But it's a simple analogy. Yeah, a simple analogy. Okay, I've got a job at a university. I need to keep my tenure because I've got a mortgage now and a wife and three kids or whatever. And if I don't publish what the people who taught me to publish, who were taught by the people who taught them, the hegemonic oligarchy, if you want to use two huge words, I'm out of a job. So I'm not going to talk about it. I'll give you a great example. It's a magnificent example. You've heard of Lewis Leakey, the great anthropologist who found the remains of early man in Aldervai Gorge in Kenya. He wrote the books on eolithic, uh, eolithic structures, eolithic bone flakes, things like that, from the earliest creatures like Lucy and 1470 man, right to the beginning. He started the science of physical anthropology in the early evolution of the human species. He is a great, great authority. Yes, he made all these discoveries in Africa. He yeah. came to North America. He found the same things at Calico in California. He told people about them. 
Yeah. And the establishment screamed, there has been no human contact or exploration of North America further back than 18,000 years, <laughs> the time of the Folsom Blade. And I thought, what? They held him down. He'd found the same elephs in North America that he had found and written books about. It's like another little thing. You see cromlechs and menhirs in Europe and England and Ireland, you know, three stones with a big stone stuck on top of them. We all knew what they looked like. You find them in North America, such as Salem, in yeah. Connecticut and lots of other places, big rock, three little rocks under it, triangular formulation, you know, exact positioning between each. Oh, they're a glacial erratic. Yeah. Glacial erratic. Yeah, a big rock was wandering along while the three little rocks stayed in position during a mud flood or a glacier. Okay. Why did the little rock stay there? And then the big rock planted itself on top of it. Excuse me? Yeah. The old will? Archaeology. New will? No, don't exist. Forget about it. Yeah. Because yeah. the paradigm that was established by the academics in North America yeah. to preserve their own position and their own strength in the history of North America. Yeah, none of them doesn't want, to, want to accept it. Yeah, nobody wants I write to. about it all. They hate me. I love it. Who cares? I yeah. find so much data, and I only use data from published sources. Yeah. It has to be published. I'll put it in. I'll look at it. I'll throw it in my books. I'll look at the patterns of it, whether it's archaeology or what. Because you can't beat yeah. the overview. It will eventually swamp you. Yeah. I do get passionate about it. Yeah, I have to be passionate about this. When we when we speak about Bigfoot, there is a related subject, and that is the giants of North America. The, the, I remember listening years and years ago, I was listening to Art Bell uh, on Coast to Coast AM. There was a gentleman on there that had been up in uh, the area of uh, Nevada, somewhere up there, and they got into a cave where there were many mummified, long, bodies and they were giants they were 12 10 to 13 foot tall these giants in lovelock yeah lovelock cave uh indian legends or amerindian legend states that were killed by the american indians for their lifestyle and just internecine warfare the giants retreated to the yeah. cave in nevada the indians filled the entrance with uh Firewood set fire to it. The bones were last seen in a little private museum in Lovelock. They seem to disappear every time somebody comes near them. They're not the only giant remains of North America. I've got a whole one whole book, Strange, The Atlas of Strange and Mysterious Archaeology of North America. Pretty sure that's its name. I forget the names of my books. There are so many of them. It's a bad habit. But you'll see it on Amazon. And it, it's county by county, state by state. So you can go to that county and have a look at what's there. And the number of giant remains that have been found in North America is staggering. From an average of six and a half to seven and a half feet, with exceptions of 12 to 13 feet. In mounds, generally, in caves, in lots of different places, or mainly around the east coast, to be blue. 
New York State, Connecticut, um, some Pennsylvania, but basically every state in the union has got giants somewhere. We've got to remember that. I'm a very pragmatic person. My wife doesn't think so, but I think I am. When the first colonists or invaders arrived from Europe, they had an average height of five foot to five foot four inches. Yep. Yeah, they talked about Gi that was that was diet. That was the way it is. They came across people and remains that were six and a half to seven and a half feet. So bingo. Yeah. These are giants. And there were giants. Today they aren't. They're a reasonable grade basketball team. Because we're taller. We're bigger. The 13 footers, we haven't made it to there yet, but I'm pretty sure we can get there. As long as we solve the problems of arthritis and things that are very prone and they're very tall. There are a lot of physical different problems to do with gigantism. But these were people who were a race of giants, the Adena people, average six and a half to seven and a half feet. And yet science says, ah, weren't any archaeology six and a half to seven and a half feet. No, weren't any. I published hundreds of them. No, weren't any. Excuse me. Are you spending all your time looking up your own bum instead of looking at what's available in printed literature around the world? Yeah, yeah, giants we, have been everywhere. We have them in South America. We have these uh, really. If you go on the on YouTube or on the or Google, the Kandahar giant, because they found mm. one over in the, you know, in the American in Afghanistan, yeah. everywhere, and they found one that they killed mm. over in the Middle East. The Kandahar giant. If you Google that one, you can read a lot of stuff about. That guy was about 12 foot tall, too. Yeah, there are a few of them. There are a few photos from the late 19th century. But there is a weird myth wandering around on the internet at the moment, too, of a place called Tartaria where life was wonderful, but there was a great fire in the 1830s and its wonderful civilization disappeared and none of us can remember it. And it's been creeping up lately. And I hate to disappoint you, but Tartaria is just another part of Siberia. Not anything else. People um, do their research, but they forget to look at research in a linear way. You know, my life is devoted to research. But yeah, you have to be very careful how you do it. Yeah, Native Americans, they talk about them a lot. And uh, some yes. of them said that they were somewhat friendly. But then again, the uh, other Native Americans, they talked about they were cannibals. And uh, they actually did away with them. Yeah, a lot of it. It depends on who was fighting who for the land, I think, when you get down. Yeah. The more dead giants, like the uh, Lovelock giants, were in the West. We have a lot of roaming tribes with very poor soil, very poor land. And it's massive irrigation, and that's almost the entire West till you get to the forested regions. So they would be fighting with anyone over resources. The East, before the colonists arrived, whether they're Spanish or European. Now, this is where I get into crap with a lot of people as well, but I'm going to stick my voice in anyone. Yeah. 
Yeah. The East had cities built by American Indians yeah. and other Native American races. Look at Cahokia across the border from across the Mississippi River from St. Louis in Missouri, but in Illinois. Cahokia, the base of the Great Pyramid of Cahokia is larger than the base of the Great Pyramid of Giza. And there yeah. are other pyramids around it. They're now estimating the city had 100,000 people. Excuse me, that's not supposed to exist in our mythology of Indians on horseback with stopping and being nomadic and living in teepees. They were Western Plains Indians. They were not the majority of the inhabitants of the East. And the great wilderness that people talk about in North America didn't exist. The wilderness started when the diseases brought by the Europeans started killing off the settled American Indian civilizations who had farming, who had roads, who had cities, who had villages, who had stable culture. Once they were gone, the wilderness came. And it's a very controversial thing. I don't look for controversial things, but I find them. And I want to know why. I want to know why people say, oh, we've got to stick to the paradigm. The help of the paradigm. The paradigm is not important. It's a learning for knowledge. To question things, to come in and say, explain this. There were people six and a half to seven and a half feet tall who came down from Canada. They came via the St. Lawrence. They moved into the Great Lakes. They moved into New York State. They built lovely mounds, settled areas. Sometimes they were taller. And you're telling me they don't exist. And other textbooks say they do exist. Excuse me? I'm not a bright man. I yeah. need to understand the answers to these things. And I do get carried away about lots of things. Yeah. And I keep stopping arguing from talking as well. Yeah. And uh, then in the Far East, we have the Abandonment Snowman. And uh, now that may be uh, somewhat similar to Bigfoot, but they're also very tall. Why they're did... a mixture of sizes. Yeah. Because I think there are different species of Bigfoot. Or different variations, I should say. Like, we range in size from the Hottentots and the Pygmies to the Udina and the modern-day basketballers. Yeah. All shapes, all sizes, all colours, all types. Same basic model, just adaptations. Doesn't matter how black, yellow or green we are, we're the same race, we're the same people. We're the same animal, just modified to our different situation. You know, big eyelids closed down in Asiatic people in China because of dust and light from the Gobi Desert and snow. And yeah, uh, uh, um, in Inuit, in Canada and Greenland, have the Asiatic appearance because of snow blindness, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hair colour, eye colour, they're all designed by climate and long exposure to particular climates, and the big feet are the same. But once again, if they've got a good enough diet, they'll get bigger. But if they don't have a good enough diet, they get smaller. Yeah. Yeah, it gets complicated when you start keeping track of all these things, but uh, they've been around a very long time. 
and they have some physiological differences from us, some of those giants. They have double set of teeth. Yes, they, they sometimes have, horns. Yeah, they also have a bigger skull, so they got more brain capacity, which tells us they're very intelligent. Mm. The Neanderthal man had a brain capacity of 1,500 to 1,800 yeah. cubic centimeters. We get up to 1,500, but average 1,200 to 1,300. So who's the smart one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which one is the smart one? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it's not us. <laughs> we <out>. don't know. <laughs> maybe we're looking at it the wrong way. Yeah, maybe we're not the smart one. Maybe we are the more predatory one, and that's why we have exhaled. Yeah, I, that amazes me. I really want to find why bonobos are different to chimpanzees. Yeah. Bonobos don't wage war on other tribes of, of bonobos. Yeah. They're matrilineal which some people say is what makes them peaceful. They have constant sex with each other and they have no idea what they you know, They have no moral scruples to bonobos. Chimps, strongly patriarchal societies, highly aggressive, cannibalistic, commit wars against anything, including other chimps and bonobos, and sexuality is purely governed by the lead male as to who gets what and where. And it's normally him. Yeah. Makes it a very constricted, high pressure society. But bonobos, no, they don't care. They're like hippies in the 60s. They probably smell the same as hippies in the yeah. 60s. Yeah. How far? Why back... did one develop one way, one developed the other way? Yeah. When it comes to the giants, where do you think they come from? Or does it even matter? I don't think it even matters, but I dispute people coming to America from the Bering Straits. I believe that when the water and the sea, and I've written about this in quite a few books, the last great cataclysm, 10 to 12,000 years ago, when the sea levels were 300 to 400 feet lower, all they had to do to come from Siberia and Asia was go across the Aleutians. Yeah. No problems at all and not as cold. You don't have a two-mile-thick ice shelf. It's north. But that's a whole different story one other day. Yeah. Look at it yeah. it gets very complicated. Yeah, because... As the sea really, rises and falls and everything else. We, uh, we got to remember that when we read the history books, it comes from the, the word history. If you break up the word, it's his story. It may not yeah. be ours. No. I, I it's think his Na story. Na Napoleon Bonaparte, he I think he had it right. He's a definition of history is that it is the most commonly accepted lies for the moment. Yes. And it's also only written by the winners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the losers really write about their own history. Yeah. Now, if you, you read Broken Spears, written by an Aztec prince, and then you read La, De La Vega and his Conquest of Mexico, two totally different books. One was written by the winner, 
One was written by the loser. Yeah. And I love the book by the loser. I still like the La Vegas book by the winner and a lot of the other books. I have a lot of uh, reprints of diaries of the Castilian invaders of Central America and South America. It's all written by who wins once again. It's called the hedge mnemonic oligarchy. It descends down, giving yeah. the same message to reinforce itself. We're trying to break that oligarchy. We're trying to destroy the hegemony of it. Hegemony mm -hmm. of it. It's not an easy word to say. And we can. Read books. Read books that are different. Read published works. The internet is great. Yeah. But we don't know what research is like in it. All my books have got bibliographies. Yes, you can see where it came from. Not just some books where, oh, there's no bibliography. We've got no idea what any of this is, and I've never seen another related article to it anywhere. Then you start thinking, hmm. See, I can do that because I've written so many and read so many. But if you haven't, you're only just starting. Be careful what you read. Yeah. But you'll find some amazing things you can read and study. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I switch subject on you again? You wrote another book about the comet that may have killed off the dinosaurs. Yeah, there you go. Inshallah was not alone. I have no idea whether that's reversed or not, but it is on my screen. Is it reversed on yours? Uh, no, it reads as Chishalub was not alone. Mm. Yeah, okay. Because this screen reverses it. Let me explain something here. I'll show something. Yeah. I like maps. I've bored you all with that detail before, of course. Here we go. One moment, please. Come on, come on, come on. No, too early, too early, too early. Yeah. Just... Come on. You with me? I know we're aha. I don't know how well you can see any of that. Uh, a little higher. Okay. What is it supposed to depict? Okay. This is 66 million BC. That little thing there is Chishalu, the 66-kilometer diameter. The Chishalu crater that was supposed to be the only impact event at that time, and so they made it winner of a prize for who killed the dinosaurs who happened to rapidly disappear around this time. But they forgot one little thing. Do you see this larger circle here? Yeah. That's a Cuba crater. It's 500 kilometers across from the same period. Which does make it interesting when you look at this one here. It's several hundred kilometers across and it's a Shiva crater. Oh. And there are a few others. All from 66 million BC. All from the same period where it was apparent or purported that the dinosaurs went legs up. 
a lot of them might have gone. Yeah. But I'm not sure if all of them went. After all, we've still got stories in the Macaulay, Macaulay Mabembe in the Congo and others. And Nessie. Yeah. There were several impacts in 66 million BC. Not just Shishula. Mind you, Alvarez, when he brought forward the concept of one comet alone or one meteor alone causing it, was held down for years. And he was one of the top scientists at the Manhattan Project in New Mexico that developed the plutonium bomb. Not the atom bomb. He got under the plutonium bomb. A brilliant physicist. Absolutely brilliant physicist. But he wrote about an asteroid or something hitting the Earth and killing off dinosaurs. No, 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 we won't have that. I've written about several at the same time. But I've also written about a period 10 to 12,000 years ago where we had swarms of them hitting the Earth. Yeah. One, not two, swarms. I'll just show you one quick one before we go. We may have to discuss it another time. Other huge craters as well. It could be. Here we are. That's a good one. Yeah. Aren't the maps wonderful? You uh, see the big round thing? Higher. Okay. Big round thing? Yeah. That is a Bermuda crater. It's about 1,500 kilometers across. Mm. You see smaller balls disappearing off to its... Uh, well, that way. What do you think about the chance that maybe they all did not die 66 million years ago? Maybe that Marco Polo, when he went to China in uh, 1400 and some, he came back and he had written in his diaries that Chinese royalties, they had small dinosaurs that they had trained to pull their wagons. I haven't read the exact account by Marco Polo, but I don't Actually, believe dinosaurs became extinct. They said there were dragons that looked like dinosaurs. So, and then again, there is parts of the darkest part of the middle of Africa that uh, the natives, mm. they're saying that they think they have seen dinosaurs. Yeah, that is a Macaulay Mabembe. In the Congo River and its surrounds. Yeah. And the, the descriptions of it basically are of a large diplodocus, very huge body, gigantic tail, um, not a carnivore, a plant eater or, or plant eater from the water, etc. Still living there. A few reports, but very isolated areas. The local natives, as usual, terrified of it don't go near it mm -hmm. but we also have our normal lake monster reports around the world starting with yeah. nessie or champ in lake champlain or ogo pogo and a whole host of others i've written about books on lake monsters why do lake monsters when we report them in most cases look like plesiosaurs Excuse me. Why should we think they look like plesiosaurs if they don't exist, apparently, and no one's seen them? Yeah. But everyone mentions Lake Monster, hello, plesiosaur, in most cases. 
There's some very odd ones, and they get stranger, but we'll discuss those in another time. Is there a common human conception that lake monsters have to be plesiosaurs? Plesiosaurs? Yeah. That becomes the plesiosaur or creates the image of the plesiosaur, though there's an actual monster there. You know, there are more things happening in this multiverse we give ourselves credit for or give credit for existing. But yes, plesiosaurs, more than likely still aquatic dinosaurs in most cases. Yeah. And lots of them. Yeah, there is. Well. We've done well today with giants. Shishalu. Yeah. And Bigfoot, of course, who's one of my favorites. I love him. He gets complicated again. It all gets complicated, and I can complicate it even more. And that's another, another, another interview to another time. Yeah, because it does get more interesting than that. Yeah, I know it's uh, it's something that I would recommend highly for everybody out there listening to this. Yeah, you can read the history books but also go and get alternative history because that's where you will find most of the truth. Because the uh, what you the history you find in the higher institutions of learning, it is approved by the people who profit from it. And whenever you put profits into the middle of something, whoever pays for a study or anything, they're going to get what they pay for. So you will have mm -hmm. their opinion expressed in those history books, in the medical books, or any other books that explains what it was like. There is a flaw in there that we must know it's there. We may not know what it is, but it's our responsibility to research it and find it for ourselves. And good place to start there, go to Amazon and put our guest's name in there and then start with his, what did was 120 books? Yeah. Yeah, at the moment, it'd be more soon. I'm still working on a five volume yeah. set of North America, sorry, yeah. United States Bigfoot, complete with maps. Yep. No one's done proper maps with them before. Put George Mitrovic in the search bar and start looking through. You're going to find something in there that will straighten out your thinking. I look And there are also written, my books aren't written for intellectuals. They're written for the ordinary person. Yeah. Because if I want to write intellectual books, I spend all my life writing about some stupid fish hook somewhere. That no one is interested in, but I'll have a spot in university, so I'll be fine. No, I want to use these you to use these guidebooks to find things, yeah. to find late night maps. You just go here and it says, turn down the road here, and there's a mound, something was discovered here, or something is still sitting here, yeah. like serpent mound, other things like that. Yeah, that, you that don't know what's in your yard. That library behind you still amazes me. It almost looks like the one I have here. That's uh, that's amazing. 
it continues. Yep. Yeah, I love it. I love my library. Yes. And if anyone's noticing, the top two shelves where my finger is, they're oh. on my own books. The big red ones, the whole row of red, okay, the 22 volumes, 7,000 pages of strange phenomena from 1600 to 1999 in chronological order. Mm. Wow. I don't just write books. I write sets of encyclopedias. Yeah. I wrote that earlier this year. Well, this has been very interesting, and uh, I would love to have you back because there is so much more that can be talked about. I'd love to be back. I always enjoy talking to you, Argan. Yeah, this was good. So, uh, the gap has been too long. I thank you very much. And for you out there listening to this, go to Amazon, put George Mitrovic in there in the search bar, and have a ball. I did, and it took me a while to get. I haven't still haven't gotten through everything, so just go have a ball with it. And otherwise, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe on YouTube, and then we will see you not too long into the future on Broadcasting Alpha again. So we thank you for being here with us, and thank you again, George. <laughs>